welcome once again back to the two Brandons. It's been a while since uh, we've gotten at you guys, but uh, we are back super excited to uh, <laughs> fill you guys in on a lot of the things that have happened in these last few months. And uh, let's just get it going. We're going to get it started with a little Star Wars Last Jedi talk. So we're going to do that. This is Brandon Thomas. And this is Brandon Easton. All right, here we go. Last Jedi, what'd you think? The trailer <laughs> came out the other day. Yes, it did. Well, um, I, as always, I'm always excited anytime I get any new Star Wars anything. <laughs> That's uh, true. Along, alongside that, you know, and we always talk about this, like I don't have a deep love for a whole lot of things. But for those like five or six things I have a deep love for, I will always be excited. That includes Blade Runner 2049, which I must say was a near masterpiece, despite all the internet bitching and complaining. If you have not seen Blade Runner 2049 and you consider yourself a fan of science fiction cinema, you are doing yourself a disservice. See it on the largest possible screen that you possibly can, because trust me, it is literally one of the best films I've ever seen, period. So with that out the way, Last Jedi trailer is very interesting to me because I, you know, I feel like the new saga, this new trilogy is recreating the original trilogy pretty much beat for beat. Now, mm -hmm. with The Force Awakens, I don't have a problem with that. I did not have a problem with it mirroring A New Hope because we kind of needed that. You know, there's a new generation and the old fans are going to show up anyway, but the new fans need to be kind of indoctrinated into the world of Star Wars, which is a very large and complicated world. Yes. Even with the new canonized reshuffling of events in history, it's still an overwhelming task to properly understand everything that's going on in Star Wars. So I understand why The Last Jedi, to me, feels like The Empire Strikes Back. Uh -huh. However, the marketing... And the cutting of the trailers, I don't think is doing the job that the prequel, like now, for whatever anyone feels about the prequel trilogy, we all can talk about and argue about that till the cows come home. But the one thing I can say about the prequel trilogy marketing was that those trailers got you hyped to see episodes one, two, and three. And especially the trailers for episode three were amazing because yeah. we knew kind of where this was going, but we didn't know how brutal it was going to get. Right. You know, we know it's going to be killing kids. We didn't know he was going to be killing Padawan, baby Padawans. You know, it's, it's insane. But now with the this new trilogy, both of the Last Jedi trailers have been strangely I don't underwhelming is not the word. I would say restrained is the word. It feels like they're holding back from really nailing how cool Star Wars is and really nailing how pivotal these events are because I think they're trying to hold back spoiler points or plot points. Yes. But yes. Th there's still a way to release trailers that are effective without spoiling an entire film. And I feel that on some level, Lucasfilm is being a little bit too secretive or maybe Disney. I don't know who's in, who's in charge of the marketing, but... When 20th Century Fox was distributing the prequel trilogy, they went all out with marketing. It feels like the marketing for the new trilogy is more based around the release of toys than it is promoting the actual film itself. And I have a problem with that because I, they, I spent a lot of money on The Force Awakens toys. I spent zero dollars on Last Jedi toys. 
And as bad as I wanted a, Luke, a new Luke Skywalker figure or the Finn dressed as an Imperial, um, I mean, um, First, First Order, Order. Trooper, yeah. uh-huh. I just could not find myself to part with my money because I felt way too manipulated as a consumer, if that makes any sense. So that's how I feel. I'm extremely excited. I got my t- tickets for The Last Jedi. I will be there. I won't be there Thursday night. I'll be there Friday night. Okay. But I feel as a consumer, they're just like, buy these toys. Buy these toys. Buy these toys. And I'm like, well, I don't want any more toys. I want more Star Wars story. So for me, I'm not happy with feeling like they're trying to shove toys down my throat. But I am always, of course, happy for new Star Wars stories on the big screen. So that's my general take on the the, 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 the only two trailers they've released for The Last Jedi. Okay, cool. Well, I I love the trailer pretty much. Um, Mm I and I love that the trailer is deceptive, and it's mm-hmm. it's funny that you mentioned that about how restrained they are because you know all they're doing they're protecting plot points. It's so funny right. that you said that because I just came from my uh, my my local comic shop and me and my guy there were actually arguing about that <laughs> because you know here's here here's the thing here's the difference between now and when the prequel trilogy came out. The internet. I mean, if seriously, true. seriously, if they had put trailers out that were a little more kind of expansive and expository, these so these jacked up Star Wars fans would have figured the whole movie out already. So they have to protect the movie from the fan base because. <laughs> I was just on, you know, YouTube and there's already dozens of Star Wars, The Last Jedi reactions and theories and, you know, this, these are the things you missed and this is what I think is going to happen. And you just have to, Star Wars has a, you know, a hyper, hyper obsessive fan base of which I am a part of that just can't help themselves but to pick apart and speculate about what the movie is going to be. And so to protect the actual movie from the fans before it comes out. They have to do, you know, all of these, you know, tricky editing tricks. They basically use the trailer to kind of sell you an an idea of the story, which is not necessarily what the story is going to be. Right. I mean, you, you know, that, that the last, you know, the kind of like jaw dropper at the end with, with Ray and, and, you know, Kylo Ren, you can tell that those are like two completely different scenes that have been cut together. Like the lighting is completely different (laughs) in in both shots. So, you know, you just have to, I appreciate them going out of their way to prevent us from figuring out the movie, you know, before we actually have a chance to see it. Because I mean, all it takes is, all it takes is one or two nerds to get lucky and it all all it going to be is like a youtube video that goes viral and they're going to be like oh by the way um harsh language in this episode just said that at the beginning but later on we're going to need that but you know keep that in mind so you know get get the kids out of the room for this one and put the headphones on so anyway you know someone will put out a youtube video and they're going to be like oh shit they didn't just predicted the entire movie and put it on the internet and now thousands of people are sharing it. Now, and the movie don't come out for another month and a half. 
So I appreciate them lying to us in the trailers. And The Force Awakens had plenty of, uh, well, there was a little footage, but there was a lot of dialogue that was in the trailers that did not appear in, in the, the movie, movie at yeah. all. I mean, seriously, like 75% of the stuff that Maz Kanata said in any of the trailers and her voiceovers, none of that was in the movie. Like Finn had a couple of lines that didn't appear. So I, I appreciate them doing doing their best to conceal as much as possible because the frenzy from the fan base to know what happens and after you know that to run out and tell everybody else is just so high that they can't you know they can't tell us what it is they can't even they can only hint in broad strokes at kind of what the arc of the story is i mean i and you know i i appreciate that i mean if i had be, and, and this is just a personal thing because I have no self-control and I can't control myself and I can't stop watching Star Wars trailers. Like, I would have been cool if they didn't even put out, like, another trailer. Just left that teaser thing that they dropped a few months ago and just and just let it, let it be at that. But, you know, uh, that said, obviously I enjoyed it. I mean, that the John Williams... I mean, I love... I love the way that John Williams is blending the themes together. It it just, you know, it just makes me happy. Like I love how he's blending like that the Jedi steps cue from the very end of the Force Awakens into Rey's theme and incorporating, you know, some of Kylo Ren's theme. So, I just, you know, I I thought it was as usual, it was, you know, very well produced, very uh well edited, even though, you know, it's it's lying to us, which I'm which I'm fine with, because I would like to, you know, preserve uh some surprise for the for the actual experience. And you know, I'm one of the, the I'm one of the crazy fans that that's trying to figure it all out. So, you know, I, I appreciate that. No, and I, I get what you're saying, and and you do have a great point about overzealous fans picking stuff apart before the film drops. That is very true. I just feel way too – I feel like the marketing and the promotion of it has been just way too calculated along uh, with the Force Friday toy releases. Yeah. I think that's what's bothering me so much. And when I – it's not that I hate the trailers because I don't. I just feel like it, it, they're, they're so held back. And I know what you're saying, but I feel that you could still put more of a – visual and dramatic and thematic punch in the trailer rather than just showing Kylo, you know, not shooting his mother. You know, that scene where he flies the uh, his new TIE fighter into the rebel ship. Which, again, is not how the scene is going to appear in the movie. Yeah, I know. I, I, and that's another thing. You know, I feel like they're, they're deliberately misleading us. Yes. So that when the film does drop, we're like, oh, or maybe those scenes won't even show up because that happened with Rogue One. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Rogue, oh, let's not even talk about that. Oh, right. my God. So while I am, as of course, I am going to be there. I'm very excited. I just don't want to feel like I'm being merchandised to death. Right. And that's the feeling I've been getting with the recent Star Wars films. Uh -huh. um, Rebels, the show, has still been pretty awesome. Yeah, it's um, been pretty good. Pretty solid. Yeah, yeah and, and, and but the beauty of that is that I don't feel like they're trying to shove Rebels toys down my throat every five seconds. Right. With, with the new trilogy, it's like 
there's not just toys. There's Legos and there's more Legos and there's different kinds of Legos. Well, and see, I'm like, that's also like the economy. That's like the economy of space too, because you know the movies only have two hours to sell you toys. Of course, Rebels of course. has like thirteen <laughs> episodes to sell you toys. So it's like a very limited window. But I, I understand what you're what you're talking about, and and it's one of those things where I'm trying to uh, and you. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to relitigate relitigate the election of the Force Awakens, but uh, you know I, I'm trying to to take a a less uh, personal kind of approach to it. If that it's not really possible, but you know we've talked about the movie and we've talked about the thin thing over and over and over again. And how, like, even even though The Force Awakens, I think, is, you know, in, incredibly watchable. And it, it's basically, a, it's like a, it's like a mixtape. It's like a Star Wars greatest hits. It's like, the, take, take a bunch of really cool bits from all three movies, but then put them in the frame of A New Hope and then, you know, give it to us and it'll be awesome. So, you know, it, that was, that was definitely what The Force Awakens was. And I'm kind of interest I'm, I'm very interested to see how jj abrams is going to end this trilogy because i really to me it feels like an opportunity for him to actually go ahead and do something different and not just you know like oh oh shit it's return of the jedi time so we'll do that again and you know everybody will love it because they'll feel good and it'll be great so i'm hoping that you know, having him in this new trilogy will give him the space to be like, okay, you know, this has been reintroduced. You know, Ryan Johnson has come in in the middle and done this, you know, incredible, amazing, shocking thing. And so now I can do something a little, a little different as well. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but ultimately I'm trying to take a less, uh, invested stance in the movies and acknowledge that, these movies are not for us anymore. Like primarily they're not for us. Therefore the next generation of star Wars super freaks. So they can become super freaks like we are. So I think that's why there is a lot, there's a heavier, it seems like there's a heavier kind of merchandising hand to it because they want the, the this new generation to be excited about, you know, fucking Ray toys and, you know, Kylo Ren with the face scar and undercover Finn. So I, I'm I'm trying to anytime I, I get really upset about <laughs> anytime I, I feel myself getting upset or annoyed about, you know, something that they're doing as far as the marketing or even something that we're actually seeing in the trailers, like for instance, I think we talked about this briefly before, but, you know, it really it really kind of hurts my feelings that Luke Skywalker appears to be a colossal fucking fuck up. You know, like that's what yeah. I'm that's what I'm that is something that I'm really getting from, you know, from these trailers and from The Force Awakens that like, you know, are our hero is he basically fucked it all up. You know, he had it all at his fingertips and it just it all slipped away and now like he's old and angry and irritated because he fucked it all up. So as as a, you know, a Luke Skywalker fanboy, you know, to my core, 
that does trouble me. And it also troubles me when Mark Hamill says that he he read the script and he's like, man, I kind of disagree with like almost every choice you made for Luke Skywalker, but I'm going to trust you with it. So that type of stuff makes me nervous, but I'm, I'm trying to, to, to disconnect myself a little bit from it so that you know when we see the movie and it's like oh yeah luke skywalker's a big fuck up and he ran away like a punk like solo and leia was the only one who was strong enough to actually stay the course and all the weak ass dudes ran for the hills because they were sad so you know it's yeah you have a point there because i was a little bit um I was a little bit uh, disturbed when I saw what Mark Hamill had to say, but it could be again misdirection on a much larger level. It could be, it could be, because you you never, you know, I, I wouldn't put anything past them. You know, I know that they have to take uh, additional every step possible, you know, to keep us from figuring it out before it it actually releases. So you you never know how much of that is just kind of lip service. And, you know, Mark Hamill also complained about Force Awakens and how he didn't have any lines. And he was like, and that, t- he's like, and, <laughs> right. that, and that turned out fucking fine. So what do I know? So, right. Uh, right. but, you know, t- and, and, you know, there, there was something about that that is kind of, um, uh, it makes me a little anxious, but it's also exciting. And we talked about this before, that The Force Awakens was not challenging by any stretch. And I feel like, at the very least, The Last Jedi is going to do some stuff that I may like, you know, that I may like hate, that I may like dislike. They may make some choices for the characters that are just like, oh, I hate that. No, I don't like that. I don't like that. And, you know, and I think that that the potential for that is exciting because, you know, the, these movies, they're not for us anymore. I mean, they are, but long term. No, you're right. You're not wrong about that. You know, we're, we're, right. we've, we've aged out. You know, we've aged out of the game. So we have to be very careful about, you know, it's a bunch of, you know, like Star Wars, like full grown adult Star Wars fanboys that are making all of these demands of what, like, the movies need to be now. And they're like, uh, no, because we're making We don't these, care about you. Right, we're making, we don't give a shit about you anymore. You know, we're making these movies for, like, the previous version of you. Like, we're making the, these movies for the eight-year-old version of you, not the 38 version of you. It's like, you know, watch them, try to enjoy them, and, you know, shut the fuck up so these kids can, you know, enjoy this without a bunch of adults like <laughs> well yeah and that's the trick yeah and i agree with you because i don't feel like i'm going to get involved in the, in the center of it and say negative stuff you know right. what i mean i'm just right. you know that's how i always said it's like let people enjoy things right <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> let people enjoy things it's like why are there already like 10 articles about porgs and why they're the fucking worst thing ever and they're the second coming you, of you Ewoks. already know the answer to that question man you already know the <laughs> and, and it's like and it's one of those things it's like when i when the original trilogy you know i hated the fucking droids but other people love the droids so i mean i can't have a star wars there's been no star wars movie that's been 100 percent everything i want and i'll just i try I, I was trying not to say this but i'll say it anyway I tried to watch Rogue One again 
and I fucking hated it. And I have uh, come to the real to the realization that for me, Star Wars, my kind of perspective on Star Wars is like Jedi or go the fuck home. Like, I don't care about anything that is not Jedi related. I mean, I do on a very kind of surface level, which is why it's so kind of um, harm, <laughs> which is why the Finn thing is so irritating to me because I know, you know, I, I'm pretty sure at this point that he's not going to be the, a Jedi or use the force or anything. And so I know that that automatically means that I, I'm going to care about him less just because of that. But, you know, I mean, there, there's been no Star Wars movie that's released. That's been like 100% what I want, because all I want is, is lightsabers and like force battles. Like, I don't care about, um, you know, I don't. I care about the X Wings like a little bit, the Millennium Falcon <laughs> like a little bit, right? Right. But I mean, seriously, and, and and that's you know, if if Luke, I need Luke with a lightsaber just fucking people up. I mean, that that's what that's what I need in my life. Like that's what I need from the Last Jedi. If I can get a decent decent amount, a decent scene of Luke Skywalker just fucking people up. Then I hope that happens. That would be nice. I mean, it that would has be really to nice. happen. It has to happen. Oh, dude, I'll say this much. You know, I, obviously, I do not have your uh, disdain for um, <laughs> the Rogue One. I, I quite enjoyed Rogue One, and I enjoyed Rogue One because I'm a military, you know, war buff, uh-huh. and I love I love the battle tactics. Uh-huh. I felt that the the third act was one of the best third acts I've seen in a Star Wars movie since probably Revenge of the Sith, uh-huh. in the sense that. When those ships warped in over the uh, a scarif, uh-huh. and I was like, "All right, this is this is going to be awesome." And just to see space, like naval battle tactics between the rebellion and the empire, you don't really you only got that a little bit in Empire on uh, Return of the Jedi, uh-huh. you, and you got it a little tiny bit in Revenge of the Sith, but you didn't really get straight up battle tactics like you know uh, what's that game like Command and Conquer style right. stuff. You uh-huh. know what I mean? But <laughs> like fucking like battleship. <laughs> right, exactly. So, but but the reality is, I, and, I, and I understand what your criticisms are of Rogue One because I, I can see why that's not a lot of people's cup of tea. I think that for me, Rogue One triumphed in the sense that you understood how great that sacrifice was. Uh-huh. Because you know, in, in Episode uh, Four, you know, A New Hope, you just hear, "Oh, we got these plans." You didn't realize how much people suffered just to get those plans and how many people died. Like, you just didn't get it. Right. You just assumed like they stumbled. It was a line. It was just like a throwaway line. A throwaway line. But, and, and I absolutely agree with you because this is not our Star Wars. In a lot of ways, we are seeing that across pop culture in general where the pop culture um, benchmarks, whether it be Star Trek, Star Wars, even Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica, everything Marvel and DC, generally speaking, has taken a shift. Some of those shifts have been great and some of those shifts have not been great. You know, and that's, and that's, that's up to our argument, you know, obviously. Right. But as a Star Trek fan, for example, there are a lot of people whining about Star Trek Discovery. But I'm like, well, we could have no Star Trek or we could have Star Trek Discovery, which is trying to do something very interesting with a very old property. So in a lot of ways, I applaud new takes on established properties. You know what I mean? Because right. you've got to have new material come in and you've got to have new ideas applied. And when you don't get new ideas applied you get the last five to ten years of Marvel and DC Comics. 
you know, which is a great segue to a discussion that happened at was that at New York Comic Con? It was, was a retailer's. Comic-Con? It was a retailer's. I think breakfast at New York Comic Con. Do, do you want to tell the story? You tell the story. It just makes me well, sick. Repeat. Well, from what I understand, and I, I didn't spend as much time as my colleague here did because, you know, I, I didn't want to be as frustrated because he, he got as frustrated as I did, obviously. Yes. But there was a basically at every show. Now, they usually have this at Baltimore Comic Con quite a bit because of the diamond retailers headquarters being in Baltimore, Maryland. But basically what you've got is a situation where. Retailers come and meet with representatives from the larger companies as well as distributors and other publishers, so forth and so on. And they talk about issues that they feel are, you know, directly affecting impacting and affecting them. They also, you know, the retailers and publishers and or the publishers and the um, marketing specialists at all the large companies, they also meet to show all the cool stuff they've got coming. So it's a it's basically a retailer expo. Right. That very few people get invited to where retailers can, you know, if they need to bitch and complain, they can. If they just want to talk about different ideas about the business, they, that's their opportunity. Right. Right. Well, at this particular uh, retailer breakfast slash presentation, it wasn't everybody from what I understand because I talked to people who were there. But there was, as always, a very large and ignorant minority of people who got up and started complaining about how the lower foot traffic and the lower sales at Marvel in a lot of these stores are a direct result of Marvel Marvel's commit, so-called commitment to diversity and diversity within storytelling. Apparently, some some of these retailers got up and started using words like homos, homos and homosexuals and the women and the blacks and other derogatory language. Yeah. Blacks, uh, homos, and freaking yeah. females was exactly. the, the kind of direct pull quote. Right. And I didn't want to say it, but I mean, God damn it. And so we have a situation where, again, there are extremely regressive-minded and retroactively-minded people yelling and screaming about the real world. Because I don't call diversity diversity. I call it reality. This is me talking. Right. But... These people still seem to believe that the world is predominantly white and male. This is what they believe, and and they want to hammer that home as hard as possible. And with a current political administration that is empowering neo-Nazis and white supremacists and racists and white nationalists and all these other bigots, these folks are feeling deeply empowered to throw their ideas into the mix. Now. The retailers have another level of engagement because this is their livelihood. If they don't make money, they can't live. So in their minds, they're having money and food taken off their table because Marvel, for a very short amount of time, has made some kind of commitment to embracing the reality of our world. Now, the reason why Marvel sales are not what they should be has nothing to do with diversity, it has to do with poor storytelling and poor long-term planning, in my opinion. Okay. I would never blame diversity as the reason why Marvel Comics or whatever, quote-unquote, aren't selling. It has nothing to do with diversity. But getting back to the original point, these folks feel as if, though, any change from the white male heterosexual status quo is going to be a shock to the system of their buyers and is going to fundamentally destabilize their ability to make money. This is what they believe 
And this is what they were saying. Right. And it's only getting worse in their minds. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to, to jump in, this, <laughs> I'm glad you, you mentioned our, our current world. I mean, I, t- to me, when, I, when I've been talking to people about this, to me, like, racism is ascendant in America right mm-hmm. now. And the these people that used to, you know, kind of hide hide these feelings away and conceal them and basically kind of conduct themselves as if they are normal people, the the mask is coming away from these people. And it is because we are living in an environment where, you know, apparently, you know, being racist and being a bigot is now some kind of like political stance it's like Mm -hmm. the other side of of like i don't even want to say i'm gonna stop saying (laughs) diversity i'm gonna start saying inclusion that's not actually my idea i took that i think shonda rhimes has said that she's gonna stop saying diversity and start saying inclusion so along those lines a, a lot of these people are now they they are emboldened. They are emboldened because the president is racist. He hangs with yep. racists, and we have a you know for 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 as much as the the current occupant of the Oval Office complains about you know the media and how how mean and how harsh they are to him. They are only a fraction of how tough and critical they should be. I mean, it it bothers me that to this day, we're still like, if you, if you turn on one of these news programs, there are still like, you know, well-meaning white liberals uh, debating whether or not the president is a racist. I mean, to them, as long as he doesn't have a cross burned on the White House lawn, like as long as he doesn't like hang a black man from the ceiling of the blue room, then he might not be racist. I mean, according to them. Right. I mean, everybody else, <laughs> every, you know, and, and, and again, and, you know, no offense. If you take offense to any of this shit, then I'm, I'm probably talking about you. If you don't, then I'm not talking about you. But you know, this whole thing, I, I don't want to hear white people, by and large, talking about what is and isn't racist. You know, you you need to leave that conversation to people that actually know what the fuck they're talking about, who have actually been affected by racism at some point in their actual lives. You need to let black and brown people make that determination for you, which they have already made. Like, I don't need, you know, some old white dude to tell me why, you know, the, you know, the, he, he's, he's, he's not, he's not really that. No, that's, that's bullshit. And, and I'll, I'll give you another example. I don't, I know that people are stupid, but I don't believe that everyone is as stupid as they pretend they are. For instance, right. um, these people know that the president is a racist. They know what Black Lives Matter means. They know that Colin Kaepernick's protest is not about the flag or about the troops. And they pretend that they don't because then you can make black and brown people waste five minutes of whatever time you've given them explaining to you 
what black lives matter means when it's it's pretty fucking self-explanatory and and they know what it means they just want you to waste your time explaining to them what it is so then they can grab on to some tiny little thing you said and try to discredit the entire argument so i think that in 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 regards to this situation we have like you said, it's a minority of it was a minority of retailers in this room. But again, a lot of people have tried to kind of deflect and 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 say that it's not a big deal because well, it was only like two or, you know, two or three people. It's like first of all, it was only two or three people that said that shit out loud. Now, if you think that no one else in that room heard it and also like silently agreed, then you're foolish. And also, I don't even know how many people were in the room, but say there were a couple of dozen, which is probably high. Say there were a couple of dozen retailers being represented in that room. If there are 10 people, you know, in a room of 120 that agrees with that, Mm. and you map that across the entire pool of retailers in the country... That's a lot of fucking stores that are outwardly hostile to books and creators that need sales in order to sustain careers in the business. And so I don't want to hear about how like it was just like one guy or it was just two guys and all of this stuff because the 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 larger issue about this is that Marvel Comics fell into the same trap that a lot of white America did after Barack Obama was elected. Basically, they thought that that meant this shit was over. Like, oh, racism is over. We're making so many strides. <laughs> you know, we we have we can stop talking about this. We have truly turned a corner. It's like we turned a corner and then we turn right the fuck back, you know, and went further back than where we started. You know, eight years ago. And I think what happened to Marvel is they started to believe, you know, their own. They started to believe their story. They believe this story that the Marvel Comics fan base was a lot more liberal, was a lot more inclusive and was a lot more uh, ready to, you know, receive a Marvel Universe that wasn't filled with people that looked like them. And they learned the hard way that that's not true, that their fan base and most importantly, their retailer base is not nearly as quote unquote inclusive or quote unquote ready as they thought they were. So they made a lot of character changes all at once. And I have heard that argument expressed as a reason why, you know, everyone's losing their minds right now. And I think there is a little something to that. There is a little something to the idea that you're, you shouldn't replace Captain America, Iron Man, the Hulk, you know, and all of these, you know, premier characters all at once. I do think that there is an argument made to, to be made along those lines. But I think where they really got themselves into trouble is all of, I won't say all, the majority of the top talent in Marvel Comics, you will just say Marvel, mm-hmm. is now doing books for Image. So they mm-hmm. couldn't absorb 
the hit. So these fans that for some reason they just they can't find it within themselves to read about black and brown characters and you know and uh, find some part of themselves in those characters like every black and brown person living in America has been doing since they were born. I mean, seriously, like if we had to, if I, if we had to wait for the black Luke Skywalker, you know, we would still be, we'd be waiting until, you know, we're 65 years old before we get that. But for some reason, you know, why, and I'll, and I'll say white men, because I'll try to be more specific, you know, white dudes, a lot of them have problems you know, relating to black characters in modern media. And I don't know why that is, but it's true. And Marvel Comics basically got into a perfect storm. They replaced a lot of, you know, legacy characters with, you know, kind of new versions. And they lost all their hitters. I mean, you have a, uh, you have a, of a Marvel Comics kind of like creative bench that is missing, and, and again, you know, the, this order doesn't, this is not me putting them in order, this is just me spitting out random names. So you have, uh, you know, a Marvel Comics that's missing Jonathan Hickman, Ed, Brug- mm-hmm. Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, Kelly Sue DeConnick, um, you know, Grant Morrison hasn't written anything for Marvel in ages, uh, Rick Remender is gone, all of these these writers and and artists that were, you know, draws, these were reasons for fans to get excited about books, are now doing books that they create and control and own at Image Comics. So you have a Marvel Comics that is, uh, that, that basically has a very thin bench as far as creators that can guarantee you a massive hit out of the box, no matter what they're put on. And you have a lot of change going on. So you have white male fans who are now forced to read about characters who don't look like them written by some people that don't look like them. And even if they are look, even if they do look like them, they don't know them. They don't have an established relationship with this guy. Like whatever this guy writes, I'm going to read like, I don't give a fuck what it is. And so it's just really kind of like a a, a perfect storm for them that kind of, you know, all happened at once. And some of it is their fault. Absolutely. But other things are just not, I mean, for instance, secret empire, there were like three dozen secret empire hot takes, you know, about why it was bad and why they shouldn't have done it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, (laughs) it's like, do you know why Secret Empire happened the way it did? Because like 95% of the world, Marvel Comics believed that Hillary Clinton was going to be our president. So they didn't have any hesitation about having this kind of what if side story, you know, Captain America's history was changed and he became a fascist. So in the way that these things are planned and the distance at with their you know at which they're planned out, they had no idea, you know, like the not like the rest of us, but they just like a lot of people, they naturally assumed that the election was gonna go a certain way. And when it didn't, 
they were basically trapped in this storyline that felt not like a side story or a what if. It felt like reality. Like, it felt like some shit that we were actually living currently. And, you know, and ultimately, I think that that's what happened with that situation. But, you know, the fact that you had all these people that that should know fucking better, you know, talking like Marvel could basically just say, oh, shit, did he win? All right, well, let's cancel all of this Secret Empire stuff we've been planning (laughs) for a year because, you know, people are not going to like it. They're going to think that, you know, we're like being funny or something. So, you know, it's just... It's kind of been like a, a series of unfortunate events. Some of some of it has been beyond their control, and some of it has been like self-inflicted wounds. Like they, you know, uh, keep renumbering things over and over and over again, and kind of like diluting the strength of that issue one and four ninety nine uh, price points, and getting rid of the digital copies, which has has since been reinstated. But personally, I felt that getting rid of digital those digital copies was a huge mistake for them and I believe they agreed which is why they got them back but you know ultimately looking you know kind of long term at the industry it's as much as I hate living in a world where this man is president I do believe that it has been instructive for people that don't want to realize kind of what what the stakes are, you know, this is what happens. Like, this is what happens when you consider the battle over. Like, this is what happens when you basically get fucking lazy and kick your feet up and say like, oh man, you know, there's a black man in charge. Now everything must be fine. You know, that this is, this has shown us the dangers of that. And I feel that comics is also going to go through a a similar process like you know like the country is because we are in a we're in a place now where you know there are alt writers attacking creators of color and transgender creators and and you know and doing it in the open doing it like it's their right to do it and a lot of these you know out of control fans are just they they consider this shit theirs Comics is theirs. Movies are theirs. Pop culture, entertainment, the, you know, the God shots belong to them. They Mm -hmm. get to be the hero. They get to save the day. They get to, you know, to, to get the girl that looks like them, but is also somehow, you know, 15 years younger than they are. (laughs) And that's the world that they want to live in. And the world is changing beneath their feet and they don't want to acknowledge it. And instead of living in a world where everyone gets to be the hero every once in a while, they would rather burn the house down, you know, with all of us in it, if they can't, ba- if they can't run the house until the end of time. They would rather just burn it down. And this is extending into the world of comics and it has very real, very real financial and creative implications for people working in comics that are not white males, you know, that would, that are endeavoring to tell stories about characters that aren't, you know, 95% white and male. 
And so it, it, it's just really, I don't want to say it was surprising because I, I'm not, I, I'm really past the point of being surprised by any of this, mm-hmm. but it, it was just, um, you know, it, it was, I, it was upsetting how I wasn't surprised. Let's just, let's just say that. Like to me, that was what was most upsetting that when this, this issue happened, that I wasn't at all surprised. And, wow. you know, there is, there's a reason that this kind of myth about, you know, black and female characters not selling and not being able to open movies, there is a myth that, the, there's a reason why this myth is perpetuated because people are emotionally invested in making sure that it is perpetuated. And, you know. Right. I mean, I, bro, I mean, you said so much that I, I don't even know where to begin to. <laughs> I mean, goddamn. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> well, the first thing, I mean, I do have problems with the quality of Marvel Comics that has nothing to do with diversity or so-called inclusion. You know what I mean? That's my that's an issue that I personally have as a reader and a longtime fan. Uh-huh. Um, I don't like, and this has nothing to do with the, I, some of the replacement characters or whatever they want to call them, or the new character, I have no problem with. I just don't like the writing. Uh-huh. So, so that, that, that's a whole different thing. So for me, my issues have nothing to do with the, obviously my issues don't have anything to do with uh, inclusion and race, gender, whatever that, right, whatever right. I call it. I don't have a problem with that at all because I did that with Mask and started my own controversy. So yes, you did. I, don't have a, yeah, I don't have an issue with that. I just have a problem. With, and, and we've had this conversation before about how I haven't really, every time I try to really follow comics, I get disappointed because uh-huh. I don't know what's going on and the writing just isn't captivating to me but that's just me that's just me as a long-term reader that wants certain things but everything you said about how a lot of these folks out there just can't accept the world where they're not front and center that's absolutely true you know i did a a podcast interview with um this gi joe and mask fan uh podcast um um uh, site right and and these guys were awesome i mean i have nothing they're called full force it's a uh, gi joe and Action Force, because in, in 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 Great Britain, GI Joe wasn't called GI Joe; it was called Action Force. Okay. So, I did this with these really cool guys, Full Force Podcast. Give a shout out to them, and they were asking me, you know, what was going through my head when I changed Matt Tracker from a blonde white guy to an African American male. And basically, I had said, you know, first nobody remembered Matt Tracker except for those ninety people who signed my anti Matt Tracker uh, uh, petition. Oh, petition, yeah. You know, but the reality is, um, I feel that when I was growing up, I didn't have a choice because if I wanted a black hero, the only black heroes I had were from 70s black exploitation films or Lando Calrissian, who was a traitor. Who snitched. Yeah, who was a big big traitor. You know, he betrayed the white heroes to the evil guys. And that, to me, that was always the impression I got from Empire Strikes Back. I didn't get the impression that Lando was forced into a bad situation. I walked out being pissed at him, and I shouldn't because why would I be mad at Billy D. Williams? <laughs> <laughs> well, as as an adult now, as an adult right. watching the movies now, you know I can understand the the nuance of his position. Well, why he did what but, he did? But right. but 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 I'm still like, as yeah, Lando fucking snitch. <laughs> you could you could have said something. I I don't I'm not buying that. You could have gave right. you know Han some kind of fucked up hand, hand signal and be like, right. "Look, man, they here. 
they hear, you know, be careful. Right. right. And so that was my point of view that if you go down the list of great action adventure or science fiction male heroes, and you can start with Luke or Captain Kirk or Captain Picard or Indiana Jones or um, Superman or Batman or Aquaman or Green Lantern, you know, the Hal Jordan version, which Lion is the one. Remember it? You know, <laughs> I mean, you can just go down the long list. A uh, He-Man, you know, right. uh, half a G.I. Joe and the black people in G.I. Joe. Voltron. I don't even think there were any black people in Voltron. There were no black people in Voltron. Zero. And I watched the entire run. Um, so I'm just saying that when we make a little bit of a needle, a, we push the needle like one millimeter to the right or the left, these people go crazy because it's just in their mind one big giant heterosexual white male power trip. That's all most of this is. And the fact that some of us have decided to push against it, it enrages them. And, and again, I do try to be as objective on certain things as possible because right. if, I, if I owned a business and my business was reliant upon a certain amount of people coming in and something one of the biggest companies in the world, in, in our world, does to not bring more customers in, that's going to make me mad. But to me, it's not diversity that caused it. I just think it was quality. But uh -huh. we, we cannot argue, we, we cannot dismiss the fact that what you're saying is true, that a lot of these people won't even give it a chance. Dude, I actually believe that when people know, and I mean everybody, blacks, Latinos, Asians, whites, everybody, when, when people, when, when comic readers of all races know a black writer is writing a book, I think those people deliberately don't buy the book sometimes. <laughs> just to make a statement. I really believe that. Because one of the conversations that me and you have had recently about <laughs> our our so-called curating or our way of being perceived by retailers oh. basically says that we don't move books. Right. But the reality is I move a lot of books in places where retailers know who I am and they will say, hey, you should try this. Right. Retailers can move any book they want. Right. Retailers choose certain books to push. And certain books they don't. And that's just a fact. I know that because I used to work at New England Comics in Boston, right. which is probably the longest, I mean, the largest comic book store chain in the Northeast, if not the country. So I've dealt with all kinds of retailers and I've dealt with all kinds of buyers. And I know that buyers will often take chances on material if a retailer puts it front and center. Yep. I've gone to many stores. And I have not seen, with the exception of stuff that David Walker has done because of Luke Cage, uh -huh. with the exception of David Walker's work, most of the black created material gets buried in stores. It gets pushed to weird, even if it's in an alphabetically advantageous position, somehow <laughs> those books don't seem to take center stage. And I've seen this happen all over the country because I've lived in many cities and I've visited many cities and I see where black created books go. So the reality is retailers have a lot more power than they're willing to admit. Right. And they keep pretending that, oh, I have to order this or else it won't sell. Hey, I'll give a shout out to a store right now. The Comic Bug in Southern California yep. or the Los Angeles area, yep. they actively support independent creators of color and women of all kinds, right? Yep, I've done a signing and there. It's great. Of course you have. I, I can't even see you. I've yep. done how, I can't even count how many signings I've done at the comic book, you know? But the point being is that out of all the retailers that I've gotten a chance to know and meet and try to connect with over the years, 
only maybe two or three have actually been receptive. The rest have been, fuck you, God. We don't know who you are. And I'm like, the reason you don't know who I am is because you're not taking a chance to get to know who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about is the retailers biases, right. you know, the biases of retailers. You know, we don't like people keep saying, well, you know, you guys can't move books. We don't move books, not because of quality. We're not moving books because we get buried in some cases in the press. And we also get buried on the shelves. Yep. And that's something nobody wants to talk about. And I'm not saying that people have to like our work. I'm of not course not. That. Of course not. Because if you read my stuff and you say, oh, I don't like it, hey, God bless you. You don't even have to buy it. Just flip through it. If you don't like it, God bless you. Right. I, I don't have it because I don't like everything either. You know? But I've seen the difference. And I'll say this right now. I've seen the difference. And like, for, I'm not going to say the lady's name because this is not her fault. But there's a white female novelist who also writes comics. And... Just because she's a white woman, certain retailers put her front and center, right? Right. She's not as accomplished as some of the black writers I know, but white women come into the store and the retailers let white women buyers know that that lady's a white lady and she's done this and they will give it a shot. I don't see retailers doing that when they get writers, of when they get customers of color, they don't seem to push product, indie books that writers of color do to buyers of color. And sometimes buyers of color will actively make a decision not to buy it, but a lot of times people just don't know who's doing what. Right. And And I find that to be an issue that nobody talks about. And then what happens is writers of color who are accomplished, who have talent, don't get opportunities because they're being told that retailers don't know who you are and retailers therefore don't don't want to take a chance on you. When the reality is, Regardless of what people say, retailers do read previews. That's how they order books. You know, retailers do read the Internet. They choose to push certain people. And I do believe bigotry and bias is behind why some of us so-called writers with low quote unquote Q ratings don't get the push that other people get. And one last thing on this topic that I've raised many times, <laughs> but we don't have Wizard Magazine anymore. I know. I was going to say that. You stole you know, my the, thing. The thing is, some people have disagreed with me, right? But I honestly... Why? Dude, How? I, we'll have that conversation okay. off, off here. Okay. But there are some people whose opinions I actually respect who would tell me I was wrong, but I'm like, look, when I, I read Wizard from 1993 up until about 2002, Okay. The only reason I know who Garth Ennis, Warren Ellis, Mark Wade, Joe, Joe Casey, Joe Casey, Joe, Joe Kelly, Kelly Brian Azzarello, Daniel Way, um, uh, what's the guys that the Devils do? Um, the Devils do guys. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, you talking about Blaylock? Yeah. All those, I mean, I can go down a long list of people. I would have never Robert Kirkman. Yep. Uh, 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 to a lesser extent, Matt Fraction. To a large extent, Brian Michael Bendis. Yep. You know, there's a there's a long list of people whose entire careers can be traced back to how hard Wizard used to hike them over the years. And people underestimate that the impression that made upon retailers and consumers. And fans. Ex- well, consumers and yeah, fans, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So... That's what I'm so we don't have anybody advocating for writers. We especially don't have nobody writing advocating for writers of color. Right. And I found that the only way new writers get any traction is through doing novels, because a lot of the people who have started to get, get some traction in comics are former novelists who've moved over and can bring their fan base over to the comic book world. 
Right. And if you are just a con- like even somebody like me who has Hollywood credits, I don't get the push because in some cases I do believe it's because I'm black because I don't know what else to do to get a push because it's like I've worked on Marvel TV shows. That's not enough for these people. You know, I, I just don't understand what else we all have to do well, to get well, for that. See, see, that's the and then that's a larger that's a larger issue, too, because, OK, so you take, you know, so that's the kind of retailer end of it. Right. And, um, you know, uh, there's there's some fantastic retailers. Uh, I have a great one right now. I'm going to Yesteryear Comics in, in San Diego. The guy that runs that shop is amazing. Had several, you know, Horizon signings, uh, Noble signings, and you know, it's it's like you shouldn't have to uh, shop. You shouldn't have to be like a consumer, a regular consumer at a comic shop in order for like a retailer to kind of take an interest in you as a new creator. And be like, hey, you know, let me like read this guy's stuff, or let me see if some of my um, some of my customers would be interested in reading this guy's stuff. Right. So you know, so there there's that part of it, and then there's also the publisher aspect of it as well. And I can, you can always tell how companies feel about their writers based on what type of artists that they work with. That's where you can mm-hmm. always tell how a company feels about a writer based on who they pair them with. And there are, you know, there are great, great writers, writers of color, female creators that are working, you know, at the big two. And you can tell how, how the companies feel about them when you see the press release and you yes. see like the artist's name attached to it because the publishers know they know that a lot of these retailers not I shouldn't say a lot they know that some of the retailers are going to push back against certain creators against certain characters so the only way that they can insulate that is by giving the writer an amazing artist that retailers cannot ignore it's why Ta-Nehisi Coates is doing mm-hmm. Black Panther with Brian Stelfreeze. And when Stelfreeze, you know, couldn't keep up right. with the schedule, which is, you know, not uncommon for him, even though he's a fantastic artist, they, you know, gave him Chris Sprouse, who is another, you know, accomplished, you know, like big deal artist. And you can tell that when it comes to Ta-Nehisi Coates, they want these books to be successful. They are invested in these books being successful. Now, other writers of color, you know, working, you know, at that company and others, you know, Brian Selfries doesn't grow on trees. So, you know, I know that there's a very right. limited <laughs> amount of like, you know, what retailers and fans consider to be A plus talent. But I mean, it, that that tells you the story. If you can find, you know, a, a, a writer of color or basically any writer who is who would be considered, you know, as an a quote unquote other by, you know, like a white male fan, someone mm-hmm. who's like not like them. Pay attention to the caliber of artists that they're paired with, because if these publishers know that there is a portion of the fan base that are going to rebel 
against the idea of, you know, Captain America being black or, you know, uh, Captain America's writer now being black or whatever, they know that the only way to protect against that is to make sure that that book has a phenomenal artist that a retailer will be taking money out of his pocket, right? not right. ordering that book, you right. know, and basically, you know, and we've, we've talked about this before where everyone has to accept some culpability in the way that the comic market is set up now. And nobody wants to take any of the blame. You know, the fans are like, it's the retailers, it's the publishers. The publishers are like, it's the fan, it's the retailers. When in actuality, it's a little bit of everything. And publishers know that there are portions of the marketplace that are hostile, actively Mm -hmm. hostile to certain creators. And they essentially set them up for failure. And then when they fail, they can use that. And when I say fail, you know, this is like fail in quotes, you know, like what is, what is failure in comics anymore now, to be honest. (laughs) Right. But, you know, they have, you know, they know, they, they know that this is going to be like an impossible hill for certain books to climb. And then when they can't climb it, they'll turn around and they'll be like, well, you know, we tried, we tried to do such and such and it didn't work out. When, if you really dig down deep and you look, it's like, you ain't try, you you know, you wasn't trying that hard because they, they, there are, you know, uh, there, there are (laughs) writers who are not black and who are not women who have thin ass credits you yep. know, that get deals and opportunities and work over with top flight artists. Over again. Over and true. over and over again. And again, I'm not gonna mention nobody by name. You can you can do you can figure it out. It's it's not hard. You know, you only need like a cursory glance. And this is why, you know, and we've had this discussion too. This is why it's very important if you are a Um, a writer of color or a female writer working in mainstream comics, you need to have a very deep, overwhelming kind of uh, knowledge about comics and its recent history. You know, I know I've always, (laughs) I've gotten on Easton because, you know, he doesn't know like who is related to who (laughs) and who did, you know, see, it's like you have to know what, Mm-hmm. If if you if 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 you just throw out like a name of some writer, it's very mm-hmm. important for me to know which book they did or which books they did that changed the trajectory of their careers that right. basically got them out of you know indie zone you know into mainstream so they they can build up a fan base and then go back to indie zone and then never say anything to Marvel ever again. So you when you when you look at that, when you pay just a little attention, it's it's pretty obvious to see that, you know, the publishers do uh, have some some culpability um, in in this, too. And in this whole kind of this devaluing of, quote unquote, diverse talent, because mm-hmm. they treat sometimes they treat the diverse talent like they're others. And so. The fans and the retailers also get that idea. They're like, oh, okay, well, you know, this guy's an other because if he wasn't an other, 
he would be working with this artist. He would be working with the artist that the white dude is working with. And if this, the, if the publisher won't put that guy with this guy, then that tells us all we need to know. So, you know, overall, you know, it, it was, it was, it was not surprising to hear that sentiment expressed. And I do not believe that that sentiment is as isolated and as, as rare as people would like it to be. And, you know, ultimately we just have to, you know, change, change has, changes have to be made. You know, this shit is not going to get better on its own. Nothing is over. If anything, it, it's, if anything, it's even worse than it was before. It's like we are regressing into the past, like at an exponential rate, as far as, you know, um, kind of uh, social issues um, is concerned. And, you know, the people, people are people, right? There are people making these comics. There are people making these movies. There are people running these shops. And like you said, they bring a lot of their own personal biases into the mix and mm -hmm. that affects the output of what we get that affects the things that are on that are on shelves and and and, and i want to say thank you for bringing up the idea of how people are actually treated when they are hired by companies because that's something again that we nobody talks about nope. but there's definitely a clear and delineated difference hierarchy between how white male and sometimes white women creators with very, very little credits are treated versus black writers and creators who have extensive credits outside of comics are kind of or given in comics and, 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 and yeah, both, you know, and are given kind of like a really weird place replacement within the company. They aren't treated with the same respect or dignity and they definitely aren't centralized in the way that their white counterparts are. And that's something that one day, I hope, as an industry, we talk about, but it's something very real, and I've seen it play out. It's happened to me, and it's happened to other people I know. And that definitely affects your long-term chances of survival in this business. And again, like I said before, I don't want to hear a bunch of white dudes telling me how it doesn't exist or how it's not that big of a deal or right. how it's, you know, it's like I have been... I have been living and breathing comics since I was introduced to them in 1992. I've been writing them off and on since 2003. And to be to be clear, I know what the fuck I'm talking about. To to right. be clear, to be perfectly clear, you know, people mm. are not making this stuff up. Well, I tell you, bro, it's funny you say that because I just had this conversation yesterday. When somebody was trying to tell me that racism doesn't have the impact that it does in American society, I actually had a conversation with a person in the 21st century saying this to me. And I said, well, look, and it was a woman, a white woman, actually. And I said, look, you're a woman, right? I'm hoping. And you're telling. So I, as a man, if you come up to me and say, boy, I'm tired of this sexism or this guy was a chauvinist. And then I say, well, that's probably not what happened. You'd probably be pissed off. How do I know? I'm not a woman. I don't right. know how men treat women. I know for a fact that men treat women like shit. Right. You know, it's not every man, obviously, but as a matter of fact, women are <laughs> raped. You know, women are one out of three and sometimes cases two out of three women in our society has been a victim of molestation 
or sexual assault and or sexual assault. Okay. And it's like women aren't making that up. Women right. in Hollywood have not been making up being sexually harassed and, you know, molested by uh, powerful executives. Children actors in Hollywood have not been making up being molested or sexually assaulted by powerful producers and executives. So to me, it's just that kind of if I don't see it, I don't care mentality. Yeah. And, there, oh, and, and, and something you said really hit me hard is that these people know that they're wrong. People who voted for Trump, with a with a exception of like idiots, know that the man is a piece of shit on every conceivable level. Trump <laughs> that you can horrible, judge a man on. <laughs> right. On every conceivable level. He's just horrifying. But people voted for him because of their bigotry and biases. That they know this is the case, but we're living in this age of denial. Right. And it'll eventually blow over, but I feel a lot more people are going to die and a lot more people are going to get hurt before this situation is corrected. And speaking of dying and people getting hurt, I want to say fuck Nintendo because <laughs> of their shitty, incredible, incredibly shitty handling. That was a harsh segue. But... <laughs> no, I'll say fuck Nintendo because... When I went to, you know, I, I didn't even realize this was going to happen. I just got up like everybody else. Uh-huh. I didn't I didn't know about a pre-order. I just said, hey, they're releasing uh, the, the Super Nintendo classic console that has like five of my favorite games of all time on. Which ones? Oh, my God. Let's see. They've, got, to, Star, they've got Star Fox. Link they've to got the Past. Zelda 3, A Link to the Past. They've got uh, Super Castlevania 4. Oh, yes. They've got Final Fantasy VI, also known as Final Fantasy III. And there's something else on there I can't recall because I don't have it in front of me. But like five of my favorite Super games. Super Mario World. You know what? I like Super Mario World, but it is the most frustrating fucking game of all time to me. <laughs> but that's another story. Okay, but okay. I'm sorry. I'm get, sorry. It's all right, bro. It's all right. So I get up. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, maybe I'll go get this because I, not like I have a lot of free time, but it'll be great to delve back into A Link to the Past. And it'll be great to delve into Final Fantasy 3 or 6, whatever one you call it. It'd be great to play Super Castlevania 4. It'll be great to play Star Fox and Star Fox 2, which I've never obviously played. Yeah. No, because it never released. And I, and I get to I get to first I go to Target and there's this line. Now, you know, the average Target is about probably half the size of a football field. Mm-hmm. So. I, there's a line wrapping around the entire building of Target. So I say, you know what? I'm probably not going to go here. Let me go to Toys R Us. No, I didn't go to Toys R Us next. I went to Best Buy. Okay. So I go to Best Buy, and somebody had written in Black Magic Marco on a white piece of paper, Super Nintendo sold out. So I'm thinking some dickhead just got there early and put, there, put that there so people wouldn't buy any. But a guy who works at Best Buy steps outside and says, oh, yeah, by the way, we don't have any. And I'm like, you haven't even opened yet. He's like, yeah, people came here at 3 o'clock in the morning. And when we got here at 7 to set up the store, we gave them tickets. So they already got the games. I'm like, how is that even fucking possible? But it happened. <laughs> yeah. So I go then to Toys R Us. Toys R Us, people had showed up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So when the morning, when the morning crew got there to set up the store, they had to give out tickets. They were already gone. Okay? Yeah. Then I go to GameStop. I go to many GameStops. The first GameStop I go to, there's a very small line of like 20 people. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I should be able to get something here. So the lady comes out and says, we have 50, as in 5-0, okay. Super Nintendos. Now, I'm like 25. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is awesome. So I'm definitely going to get one. I just got to <laughs> wait here for an hour. So I wait. 
GameStop opens. She starts handing out the tickets and she stops at like 10 people ahead of me, which would be number 15. So everybody else that's from 16 to 25. And then there was like another 50 people behind me. We were like, hey, 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 what's going on? She's like, oh, we've only had 15, as in one five, uh, Super Nintendos. We're like, you said 50. <laughs> she said, oh, no, I meant 15. I'm like, how the fuck did you get 15? <laughs> anyway, so I, at that point, I was livid. So I go home, and I sit down, and then at that point, I'd already talked to you. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I could have got you one, too, man. I wish I had just... It, no, it's okay. I mean, it, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing for me. I didn't realize that Nintendo would once again fuck over their loyal fan base, their needlessly and unappreciative, unappreciatively loyal fan base. <laughs> oh, yet again, like, I didn't really give a shit about the original Nintendo. Uh-huh. I mean, the you know, the yeah, I, know. I, I know, I didn't care. But the Super Nintendo, you think in a city, particularly you know, like Los Angeles, which is the second largest city in the United States of America. You would figure that they would just make enough because you're going to make your fucking money back. It costs probably $10 to make one. They're charging 80 You know, maybe $5 to make one. They're charging 80 right? Right. You should probably just make enough. I don't know. Make enough. Because it's going – people are going to they, – they deliberately under-release under, under, under them. They underproduce them. You got people on fucking eBay selling them for 400 fucking dollars. Right. So, Already. So fuck you, Nintendo. And I'm saying I don't give a fuck who you. Fuck you, Nintendo. <laughs> because at this point, you know, I, I tried like okay. Yesterday, ThinkGeek.com had a flash sale. Yeah. And their yeah. whole website shut down yes. the minute. And I don't know how anybody got any, but within 15 seconds of it going on sale, it was sold out. Yeah. So I'm like, was ThinkGeek just? I was, people? I was trying. I was. We were trying to get one for you. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that. Believe me, but I I have a feeling that Think Geek just did that to get more people to sign up for their website. Maybe you know, you know and and you know, I, I would have felt better about it if they would have actually told people how many they were getting. You know, for all we know, they got fifteen. You know, like yeah, we're getting a very small amount of the Super Nintendos and right, yeah. So I I got lucky and and got my hands on one. I was I I, uh, I feel like. I think maybe the dog had had a seizure that morning, so I was already up. So I was right. I was up pretty early, even earlier than you know. If, if you guys don't know, I have I, I have a newborn, I have a, um, a a dog with a brain tumor who's having seizures, and I have another dog who's a basket case, and I'm writing like four books. So that that's one reason why it's been so long since we've done a two Brandons because I I am being challenged by my by my life schedule yeah, my life work schedule. You're doing it. You're doing it. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm hanging on, man. I'm it's hanging tough. on just barely. So anyway, I happened to be up really early that morning, and I was like, well, you know, I I, I went to get us, you know. Some breakfast, and there was a Target nearby where I was stopping. So I'm like, oh, I'll just I'll f- fly by this Target real quick and just see what see what's happening, see what's going on. So I drive by the Target, like you said. There's a line of people, like clear down the clear down the block, and I'm like, oh, okay, so that's <laughs> not gonna work out. So I drive past Best Buy, and there's another line of people wrapped around the building, and I'm like, whoa, okay, so this is this is how it's gonna go, huh? So I go and get breakfast. Uh, I come home, we eat, and then I'm like, I just had a feeling. I'm like, let me go to my like 
shitty target that no one goes to. Like maybe they'll maybe they'll have them there. And this was like after they opened, right? The target opened at I don't know seven thirty or something. So mm-hmm. I'm I'll, I get there at maybe like eight fifteen, and you know I like fly back to the the electronics counter, and I think they had fifty two units, and I got a ticket for like I think I got like forty three or something. Right. So it was just you know it was just rent. It was just super. Super random, and I I didn't have to stand in line at all. I just they were open. I just walked right in, and they happened to have like ten or fifteen at the end that weren't already ticketed to people that were waiting outside the building. And you know, I I happened to get one, and so you know, so then I I hear from my man Easton driving around the world, and I'm like, man. Man, should I just give him mine, man? I got a kid. Who knows when I'm going to play Castlevania for? <laughs> no, bro. I mean, you did the hard work. No, you know what it is? It's Nintendo. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you got lucky to live in a metropolitan area. That's that, not L.A., right? It's, it's, not, it's San, San Diego, so it's not quite as out of control. Like, for instance, if you go on Fandango now and, like, look at all of my nearby theaters, you can still get fucking tickets to Last Jedi, like, on the opening night. You cannot get them here. No. <laughs> oh, I got a funny story about that. I can get them I, right now. I can go bro, find six p.m. right now. <laughs> you, you know, I was out. I was at. A, I was actually at a meeting. Okay. And I was looking at my phone, and because it, it was Monday night, it was, I was in a meeting on Monday night, and popped up on my phone. It said, "Oh, here's the new trailer for the Last Jedi." By the way, tickets are available, and I'm like. Oh, oh so you know what? They started selling tickets early. I didn't know that. Yes, so, they did. When the, the, so they were they were showing the trailer at halftime of the game, uh, which I'm I not watching because I'm not fucking with the NFL. Yeah, this yeah year, I don't watch that. That's a whole other thing. But right. they started selling tickets basically when the game started. So like at five thirty, five forty five, I started seeing tweets of people like, "Yeah, man, I got my last Jedi tickets," and I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" And I went and I looked, and they start selling the tickets already. <laughs> like, so, so you, so you have Disney. So on, on, on the one hand, Disney is like, you know, selling us like uh, pork, pork toys and Thai silencers and, Legos and shit, and, and but kind of they Legos. can't coordinate the on sale time for the tickets. Bro, like, cause I know Fandango had said one thing, and then movie movie tickets or moviephone.com said something else. So I, I wasn't even thinking about it, you know. And, and AMC's, luckily, AMC's website was so confused that on the front of right. the web, on the front of the site, they had a banner say "Last Jedi tickets coming soon," and they were already selling them. <laughs> like, if you Christ. click through, you could just buy tickets. <laughs> Right, exactly, and and that's the problem, bro. But anyway, so that's my feelings about the world today. And, <laughs> you know, and the thing is, I don't really have a lot of time to play video games. I mean, they keep releasing these games that I really want to play, and then when I get them, I play them for about thirty five minutes and then yep, get back. And to like writing. never again. Right, that's and me. and the thing is, I'm working on some really huge things right now that I can't talk about. I know. And the thing about it is that I don't know what I'm, it is, but you you. Facebooked about it, and I was all. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk about that another time. Okay. But um, once the official word comes out, there's a couple of really cool projects that I've just gotten, you know, in, and I'm working on them. So the reality is, one of these projects requires an inordinate amount of research time. So I've been spending the last 18 days or so 
just immersing myself in a, to write in a world that I've never written in before. So that's been taking away from any, like, I, I don't have time to play games, and I, yet I keep buying them. I don't even have time to read comic books, and I keep buying them. Me too. I, I have a stack of novels, of prose novels, and of graphic novels and floppies that go back to earlier this year that I'm, I don't know when I'm ever going to get a chance. I mean, I just don't know. And I got to stop doing it, but I can't stop buying this shit. Me so neither. We'll see me what neither. happens. So, that, you know, that, so that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. Right. <sighs> yeah, man. So the, the okay before you, we're gonna we're gonna end on a we're gonna end on a positive note. Absolutely. So how how we we want to end uh, this installment uh, on this past Wednesday, which. Oh shit, that was yesterday. Oh, I don't even know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. So yesterday, um, comic shops got the first uh, Noble trade, the first four issues, uh, Noble God Shots, and the fifth issue of Noble also released. And um, I'm really... I, the, the book did really well over the weekend at New York Comic Con. They sold every single copy of the trade that they brought with them. And I have always been of the mind that once once these like Lionforge books get into trade and they basically can uh, exist outside of the direct market, they don't just exist in the direct market, that that is going to basically kind of like open the world up for uh, this universe that uh, this Catalyst Prime universe that that we're all creating, and it was just really it was really exciting to hear that the book was you know flying off the flying off the table at Comic Con, and it just hit stores yesterday, and um, it'll be available through Amazon. Usually Amazon is like a week or so behind, but if you're following me on Facebook or Twitter, you know I'll send out a link when it's available. And I just want to thank the thank all the people that have been supporting the book uh, as single issues. Want to thank the people that are uh, that have supported it as a trade that are excited about the book and what we're doing. And it's it's a very you know the <laughs> I don't want to say the victories are few and far between, but you you appreciate the 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 victories that that you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, working working in this business with uh, a lot of the infrastructure uh, kind of uh, set against you because of, um, you know, things that are completely out of your control and kind of like cement that has kind of like hardened in, in place over over several decades almost. So I just want to thank, thank you guys. Thank uh, Noble Nation for uh, supporting David and Astrid Allen Powell. And uh, we have a lot of uh, there's a lot of cool stuff coming up in this uh, this second arc running from issue five to issue nine. And we are really uh, turning turning everything up, turning the intensity up, turning the action up. And if you if you liked the the first four issues of the book, you're going to love the next five. It's it's some of the best writing that I've done. Um, Jamal Eagle. uh, did the fifth issue of the book and it looks amazing just beautiful beautiful epic widescreen uh work and roger is back uh with six and he's already he's almost done i don't know if i'm supposed to say almost done with seven so we're you know just cranking ahead and i'm very excited uh for this next this next phase of noble and the the catalyst prime universe so just want to say thanks
Yeah, and I was going to say, you've done a fantastic job with Noble. You've launched a superhero that anybody could be proud of, including his wife, Astrid, an amazing character. Thank you. It, I'm going to say, if you're not reading Noble, and you're one of these people who get online and talk about they're not being you know, heroes of color and women who are treated with dignity, respect, and just kick ass, you need to read Noble. I mean, you really need to. It's a reason why I sold out at New York Comic Con, which, despite my issues with New York Comic Con and how they treat pros, the fan base at New York Comic Con will spend money, particularly on people of color material. So kudos to Lion because Forge. it's New York, so it's you know, damn straight. Yeah. And so, so kudos for Lion to Lion Forge for hiring Brandon Thomas. Kudos to the editorial team, and kudos for people for for coming out and actually supporting. Um, I have a different story. I mean, I don't know if it's as positive, but okay. you know, Ma- Mask Number Ten uh-huh. was also released on Wednesday, which is the final issue of the first and only ongoing series I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an interesting year working for and with IDW and Hasbro on this series. And, you know, I, I had a lot of plans for it, but the sales weren't there and they just, you know, it, it ended, the run ended. And I respect and I'm deeply appreciative of the fact that they gave me 10 issues to tell a great story. And the fact that I was able to walk away with an action figure being made of a character yeah, that, man. I, that I reformed, I should say, that is one of the greatest accomplishments and achievements of my life. And I will forever be grateful to Hasbro and IDW for allowing me that opportunity. So if you haven't read the series, the first trade is on Amazon and should be able to be ordered. It's called Mobilize Volume 1. It's the first uh, six issues of the series. Uh, the second volume will be out sometime soon. I don't know when, obviously. but Yeah, I uh, forget. I ordered it, but it, it'll be something. Thank you. I, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, come it. on. You and, know, come on. You know yeah, so, but I'm just saying, you got to say thank you. And so, but the bottom line is, um, you know, Mask was a great uh, opportunity for me. It changed my way of viewing the world. It changed my view of the industry and what it means to be a ongoing creator. Because once you do, like doing a one shot or a miniseries is a lot different than working as an ongoing creator in the yep. industry. And you know, Brandon Thomas obviously knows what that's like, and a lot of our listeners, you know, who are creators know what that's like, but it was my first time. So that's how I look at it. And, you know, I'll say support um, support Brandon, support Lion Forge. They have a lot of stuff in the Catalyst Prime universe. You know, please just, just give it a chance. You know, even if, you, you know, you, you, even if it doesn't look like it's something you might want to check out, just take a look at it. I think you might be pleasantly surprised by the material. And... That's what I got to say, and you know, and that's my positive note. Just give stuff a chance, as usual. Yeah, <laughs> and also, you know, thank you. We Noble, the first issue of Noble actually won an award um, at a, uh, a Comic-Con. oh, the international and, award. Yeah, 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 an international award at Comic Con in uh, Nigeria, I believe. So, wow. Um, that's 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 pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting to to know that the book and the universe and the characters are traveling, you know, to other countries and. Absolutely. Um, you know we're we're very proud of, of of the work that we're doing, and we're excited uh, about having you know trade paperbacks and having that uh, open up a few more outlets uh, to get these stories and these characters out to uh, to kind of to underserved markets. So we're um, it's 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 an exciting it's already been you know a truly transformative year for me personally. Uh, both personally and professionally, I am writing a lot of stuff that you guys 
uh, we'll be seeing uh, next year. Next year should be a pretty pretty big year for me. I'll have a, a couple of new things that uh, they get launched. A couple of very exciting, very exciting personal, you know, <laughs> black comics <laughs> for people that are not scared of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So right. uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's it, it's a lot of fun, and there's no there's no feeling. Like when, uh, you know, I, I write a script and I send it off and then I go and do another script for a completely different book. And then I kind of sort of forget about it. Like I forget about what was in that, what was actually in that earlier script. And then the artwork starts coming in and you're like, oh yeah, I remember I like this shit. I remember I like this scene, like, or I like that line. And, um, it's, I just really like the, the collaborative nature of it and how you send these these kind of word docs or these final draft docs or PDFs or whatever off and it it turns into something that's that's real. You know, it turns into something that that exists in kind of a very permanent way, you know, like people will have that noble trade on their shelves for who knows how long. I mean, not forever, but you know, you know, it's just, it, right, it's kind of right. like that. And it's a great, it's, it's a great feeling and it's a great accomplishment and it, and it all kind of stacks up on each other. So you, the single issues come out and you're like, wow, this is, you know, this is really fucking cool. It's, it's cool to have a book that comes out like every month and then you get a trade and the trade is like, whoa, like this is, this is permanent now. Like this is. This is going to be like unchanged and it's on great paper and it has a spine and it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I, you know, I love comics. I I love, uh, the, you know, a lot of the people making them. I've, I've never, you know, I've never fell out of love with comics. Like I, I can, I can always find some fucking comic books to buy and read and enjoy, you know, no matter what. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm I'm always thankful and appreciative of that, and any being able to contribute to that feeling in someone else in any way is just you know it's 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 humbling, you know it's it's humbling sometimes. I feel very humbled when when trades come out in in particular. So uh, thank you for the support of uh, of Noble, of Horizon. A uh, last note. About Horizon issue fifteen is coming out next week. Issue fifteen has one of the one of my favorite scenes that I've ever written, and it is a situation where um, I, I got to write like a really cool like villain monologue, you know, for the first time, and uh, <laughs> the the villain's perspective in mine are are very close in certain regards so it's a really kind of cool fun scene um to to have written and to have seen illustrated and and come to life and that will be out um next week so if you if you haven't read any horizon issues yet and especially if you're you know a person of color or someone that has that the world makes feel you know otherized there is a scene in it that really speaks to that in a very forceful uh transparent way so that'll that'll be out uh next wednesday 
So keep an, right. keep an eye on that. Very cool. And um, with that said, I have one question. Do you know the name of the new Wu-Tang album? I can't seem to find the name of it. Uh, no, I do not. I'm way behind on my music. The only thing, I've heard uh, Rhapsody's new album, uh, Layla's Wisdom, which is amazing. So, you know, true uh, hip-hop fans should uh, check that out if you haven't Oh, it's called, it okay, I just found it. It's called The Saga Continues. Okay, okay. I was, just, I was just wondering what the hell it is. Anyway, all right, cool. So, yes, listen to what Brandon said. Check out Horizon, which I'd still check out. Check out Noble and check out Catalyst Prime. As far as I'm concerned, um, I don't really have a lot of stuff that I could talk about, unfortunately. Yeah. But soon there will be a couple soon. of real cool official announcements, and then we'll get back to that. And I hope we do a new another episode real soon because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes. Well, you know we'll be back after the Last Jedi, but hopefully we'll we'll sneak in and do another one before then. Awesome. I'll just you know I'll just keep the baby with me. You you get, everybody will be fine. You'll just hear a, a little of that in the background, so it'll be all good. <laughs> I think that'll be all, it'll be the two Brandons and Mason. That'll be yes, awesome. yeah, <laughs> with special guests. <laughs> all right, well, uh, thank you for coming by again, guys. Um, apologize for the uh, for the long wait, and uh, you're you're always you're always in in. in in our thoughts, I'm always thinking like, oh, shit, we got to do another two brands. It's been too long. So um, it's it's not for a lack of effort. I'm just uh, I'll, I'll take the I'll take the full blame for this. I am uh, I am adjusting to uh, fatherhood and professional writing hood uh, <laughs> one day at a time. So, you know, thank you for uh, for giving us a listen and I uh, hope we didn't cuss too much. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right, take care. All right, see y'all later. Peace.